tomahawk chop. I don't know if we can do the whoa, whoa. Anyway, we have, for each person here, Mahomes Cupcakes. So take a look at this. Ladies, come on, and Mr. Brian, help it out. Everybody take one. These are awesome. Our own Edie Carey made these, and uh, they are wonderful. Yeah, let's give them a hand. This is just good stuff. So uh, take one. They're just far. Todd, is that just awesome or what? Yeah, that is just super awesome. And what's better is they don't just look good, they taste as good as they look. So if everybody get one and and uh, and enjoy. So uh, appreciate Brian and uh, Michaela, my dear wife, serving you. And so are they cute or what? I was going to wear my, I, I went to Hy-Vee and, and, and got a shirt, and then they told me I could get the Mahomes headband, and, uh, and so, uh, well, here, I'll go in, hang on to that. So I did put that on, but I, I, I forego, I, I, I didn't put you through that today, but uh, yeah, I know, I should, I should have taught the whole thing on it, but I don't know, this is, the whole thing's just pushing me today anyway, so, you know, this is, you know. So anyway, fun stuff. Is this great? Are we great? I mean, every, I mean, this is like people uh, like I can't sleep tonight. And I'm more, you know, I'm just like anxious and worried and all this stuff. But anyway, it's been a fun week, fun week in our city. And, uh, you know, as Christians, we don't deny the cultural realities around us. We can celebrate those things and uh, and always put our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's it. Well. Here we go. So, I hope you're, uh, as we dive in, you can enjoy your, your cupcake. I hope you're enjoying this series as much as I am teaching it, because I, I really enjoyed it. I told you it was motivated by Math Smethurst's book, Before You Open Your Bible, Nine Heart Postures uh, for Approaching God's Word. Our series is called The Approach, Heart Postures, uh, for approaching your Bible, and we're going to look at 13, but we're grouping them in these ways that I think are you're finding beneficial. I know I'm excited about it, and so I wanted to get this in your hands. So last week, Carmen answered correctly, and so let's give Carmen a hand. She gets her free book, and today, the first person that can tell me the two heart postures we studied last week, what they were, and who modeled that posture in the Bible. Who did we study that modeled that? Anybody know? Get a free book right here. The Brians, okay, and what are the two heart postures, Paul? Yes, and approach your Bible studiously and approach your Bible obediently. You got it. All right, Paul, you got it. Congratulations. Here you go. Let's give Paul a, a hand. So enjoy that. You can uh, see how... Now, because it's Super Bowl and uh, we have exciting things to do. Listen, there's a lot of expectation in our city today, is there not? There's a lot of joy in our city, at least for now. Okay? I don't know what tonight's going to be. There's a lot of joy. And there's a lot of getting together. In fact, our grow groups are getting together. If you don't have a place, you can come to our group. We're meeting at Jim Collinsworth House. You're more than welcome to join us. So there's a lot of joy, a lot of expectation, and a lot of getting together. And it's just pretty cool that today's lesson is about all three of those things. All three of those things. Approach your Bible 
in this way, expecting great joy together, expecting great joy together. And it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I've got a super couple come on up. They wanted me to keep using that phrase, super couple, especially Audra. She said, could we mention that at least three or four times? I said, I, maybe just twice. So, yeah, actually, she said, don't use it all, but sorry, you are. Aren't they a super couple? Let's hear it for Audra and Chris. All right. They were just longing to do this, so I said, okay, let's do it. And here's why. Uh, so, these guys read through the Bible in a year... As I'm sorry, that was just that was just too funny. Okay, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. They read through the Bible in a year as newlyweds. Is that just an awesome thing? Give them a hand so Audrey could think about it. So I, so let's interview. Let's do this, or I'm not going to get to my lesson. So are we okay? Are you? I know it was. It, we, we all believe you, really, kinda. <laughs> okay, you feel better now. All right, expecting great joy together. Okay, great joy. All right, what was your plan for reading? Through, so, did you read through the Bible? Yeah, you did. Yes, yes, great. Up to your mouth. Up to your mouth. Yes. Uh, what was your plan? Um, we used the uh, Bible Project Read Scripture app. Okay, great. We, uh, I had been reading every morning through my phone and i had finished the plan i was just on which was math john. john and it was the first of last year we were like let's just start the bible project app and go with that and see what happens cool cool and we've talked about in this series having a plan a place your purpose a pen and paper a partner and their partner was these each other as newlyweds and uh, of course we're talking about posture in the series so did you guys have a place that you did this or how'd that work um we did it every morning before we went to work in our kitchen all right great and did you read separately did you read to one another did the same person read what was going on we we read separately but we discussed it Every morning, if we had time, we tried to discuss it and journal together where uh, what we read and what stood out to us from the scriptures that day. Okay, so you read separately in the morning, but then if you had time, you tried to talk about it, and then you wrote, you both wrote things down? or Yes. Awesome. How'd you do that? Um, I'm more of a journaler, so I write in my journal. Um, I am sorry. not a journaler. I wrote down a point that stood out. Yay! Let's hear it. I really, yeah, let's hear it for Chris. I really try to make that point because I've, you know, early on I read the biographies. You know, I'm going to be this massive journal, and I, you know, and I had massive journaling going on for five days. You know, and and then it would just. I have probably like six journals that have like five days in them. You know, that are in depth. Then I finally learned. No, just put pen to paper. Just pen to paper one thing. And so sometimes it's just the date and what I read. I mean, literally the passage of Scripture. And then sometimes God gives me a whole outline and a whole message, you know, that I end up preaching. And so that's great to hear both of those apps. Now, why did you decide to read through the Bible together? Besides being newlyweds, you want to do everything together. Or maybe that was why. Um, before we got married, both in premarital counseling and through like through my shower and through lots of things, um, people gave us advice to um, really prioritize our relationship with God together as a couple. And so that was something we wanted to do. I've always wanted to 
in my family have family devotions. So um, that's just something we wanted to start well. And to be completely honest, it was easier to read together than to read separately. Yes. Awesome. Expect great joy together. We're going to get to that, okay? Excellent. Now, why did you choose the Read Scripture app? And are there, you know, what positives, negatives, or, you know, what do you like? It was the easiest to follow a plan, and it had videos. Really? Yeah. Really, it was the easiest one to follow, and it had videos to entertain us. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, video day is always a great day. Um, (laughs) to be honest, but, um, you have to be careful. Some of the videos, as Chris has said, he's shown them before. Some of the videos get a little like, uh, that's a little heresy there, but for the most part, it's good. This is true. But you do, you do, you you know, it's like anything when you're reading through, it's like, oh good, this is a video day. I get to watch the video. So that's always fun. (laughs) All right, good. Um, what, uh, what's your plan for this year? Um, we are... Oh, wait a minute. What? Well, let me, let me go back. Let me go back before we move next year. So, you know, you two are different personalities, and you're doing this together. You're newlyweds. Shower people told you to do this. That is w- a wedding shower, right? Yes. Okay, not like in your shower. Okay. Um, so you have, so you guys got different personalities. I mean, how, you know, was there like, you know, how, how did this help doing this together? And, 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 you know, like, was there some irritation along the way? And, or how did you benefit from the other's irritating personality? Or you know what I'm talking about. You've been married long enough, you know. First of all, it was good because we both had different um, routines before, so that was kind of tricky to get onto the same schedule and routine. Um, but it was helpful because then if I was cranky and didn't want to do it, he'd be like, come on, sweetheart, it's time to read. So that was good. Is to that have really that. what he said? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, it, but it was good to read it together because then later in the day, even just a few weeks ago, um, we read through Genesis and um, we had just read about Joseph and I was really, school was not going well and nothing seemed to go right. And Chris was able to text me, hey, remember we read about Joseph this morning. So it's been really good to um, be able to encourage each other with what we read. And sometimes he notices stuff that I don't notice. So that's been good. Awesome, awesome. And how did Audra help you, Chris? Same kind of thing. Just how scripture, when you're reading, can be applied through your day-to-day life, like Joseph or his brothers, and um, just seeing how God works through every little detail. Even though we don't see all the details, God is in control. He's in con- he was in control all through the scriptures and all through history. It's still... So exactly. did she, was it good having an accountability part? You know, yeah. your wife is your accountability yeah, part. I mean, was, was there times when you didn't want to read or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so how did it help? We read. Because you me. knew. It wasn't, hey, sweetheart, we need to read. But she told me we need to read. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. I love it. Okay. So uh, so what's your plan for 2020? Are you doing the same thing? You doing, I mean, was this, are, are you convinced this was, you know, you may not do this for the whole rest of your life. I don't know yeah. what your convictions are. What are your convictions coming out we, doing this for a year? We were continuing to read. Um, we decided not to do the Bible Project app, but we are using version because in version you can start a plan and invite other people to it. So 
we're we're on the same plan. We're reading uh, the books of Moses right 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 now, which is at the beginning of the Bible again. But um, what's neat with the YouVersion app is you can read together, or you can read yourselves and it'll check mark what you've done. And at the end of each day, you can actually write in the app, write down your notes, and it shares your notes with everybody you you're in doing your the, group. in so the group. So. Cool, cool. Anybody else use YouVersion? All right, so we got a few. Great, awesome. So uh, how do you think this series is going to help you? We're a little ways into it, but, I mean, what are you, you know, how, how do you think this is going to add to what you've been doing? Um, one of the things that Chris has been talking about is the three groups of people, those that didn't read the Bible last year, those that read it but maybe not with as much excitement and joy, and then those that did. And, I, I mean, to be honest, sometimes we're in that second category. We read it all. Sometimes it was just a routine, which is good. That's a good place to start. But I think this year, um, working towards the approach of um, preparing ourselves to read and being delighted and pursuing God through what we read more. Amen. Great. Any words of encouragement? Would you encourage doing what you did or some version of that? Any, any words of encouragement to our class? Um, yes, you should read your Bible. Um <laughs> But I think I had never read with someone else before. Um, people had always said, oh, you should. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need other people. Um, it, really <laughs> is, it really is good. And even if it's not in your house, there are lots of apps and tools that you can use with people that don't live in the same house as you. And it was really, really helpful to have someone else doing the same thing. Amen. Woo, give him a hand. Isn't that great? Good job. Thank you, guys. Hey, uh, you know, as a pa- it, it just does a pastor's heart and uh, uh, it did their premarital counseling. I'm telling you, when I heard that they had done that and were doing that, my heart was thrilled. So uh, what a great start. And uh, they're not perfect and they're not pretending to be and we're not presenting them as that. But I can guarantee you that having done that in their first year, they're going to always remember that. Amen. And that's something to always be striving for. So I'm excited. Okay, did everybody get their cupcake? Were they good? Were those good? So if you see Edie Carey, go up and give her a chop, you know, chopper or something. I don't know. All right, well, let's look. Expect great joy. So here's what this lesson is. Expect great joy together. And I'm glad that the Ruckles were able to model that for us. We're going to look at three heart postures that are game changers for your Bible reading. So we're moving along in this series. And I'm telling you, these three heart postures are game changers. Approach your Bible expectantly. Approach your Bible joyfully. And approach your Bible mutually. Read the Bible together. And I like what Audra said. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be newlyweds. You just find someone, accountability with someone. And with today's technology, you don't have to be sitting in the next room you know, or sitting next to each other in the same room. I love it when our church or our class or my grow group, when we read the Bible together, because I just get, it's just great way. So let's get into it. Let's look at the first approach. Approach your Bible expectantly, expectantly. Um, This might seem obvious, but listen, this heart posture is a game changer because God's word is a powerful change agent. 
The Word of God is a powerful change agent, and that means it's a game changer in your life. Uh, follow with me. You can look these up. Hebrews 4.12. He, I'm just going to read a couple passages that talk about the power to change that's in the Word of God, and then we'll dive into one in particular. And The first is this, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division between soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. He's giving a word picture. Look, down into the very inner being, those things that are tightly knit together. Listen, if sin is knitted and tied and bound to your heart, the Word of God can get in there and separate you from your sin. Listen, it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no created, there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It's amazing in this passage how he shifts from the attribute, the nature of the word of God to the nature of God himself because it's still the same. And God sees you and exposes us and reveals to us who we really are. Not only does he see us as a living being, but his word exposes that. And I am convinced the reason we don't read the word more is because it does that every time. We get exposed and it's like, oh, I got to work on that or, you know, I got to come to God to that. I got it's just easier not to read it at all. Hebrews 4.12, 1 Peter 1.23. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter one. 23, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. It keeps emphasizing the living aspect. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but... The word of God endures forever, and this is the word which was preached to you. It's the reading of God's word. It's the hearing. It's the preaching. It's all there. And then he moves on. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He moves on to the approach. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the milk of the word. So it's fascinating. You constantly are seeing the approach being slipped in. So it's like the apostles can't talk about the word of God without saying, hey, how your heart posture is, is important. James one twenty one. God's word is a powerful change agent. James 1.21. Look at that. Notice what it says. Right out of the start, he talks about the approach. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word. Remember, approach the Bible humbly. We already talked about that as an approach. Receive the implanted word, which is what? Able to save your souls. 
Romans 1.16. You don't have to turn there. The gospel is the power of God for salvation from faith to faith. And how does that happen? Romans 10.17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The, the, the word is a game changer because it's a change agent. But there's one passage I want us to look at in particular. So turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3. 14 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And this passage is kind of going to give us everything that we need out of today's lesson. 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 14 through 17. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, open them now to 2 Timothy 3. So let's read that together. 2 Timothy 3, uh, uh, verses 14 through 17. You, however... Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And we know from chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, that's his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. So there they are, learning the Bible together, right there in their home. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which for Timothy would have been Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, right? Which are able, there's that word again, able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God, even Leviticus, even Numbers, even the genealogies, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I see in here, in this passage, three expectations that you should have. I mean, there's many, probably as many as you can come up with uh, just out of your head. But here's three expectations. Approach your Bible with the expectation, first of all, of regeneration. Of regeneration. Now, I use that because it's a biblical word. And it's good to know these kind of words, regeneration. And uh, what's that mean? Regeneration is a biblical word for simply being born again. Okay, that's, that's what it really means. It simply means something is dead and is coming to life. And so the Bible, expect the Bible to enable you to be born again. That's the idea. J.I. Packer defines regeneration this way. The concept is of God renovating the heart, the core of a person's being, by implanting new, a new principle of desire, purpose, and action, a dispositional dynamic that finds expression in a positive response to the gospel and its Christ. He goes on to say, regeneration is a transition from spiritual death to spiritual life. The scriptures are able to create in you spiritual life within your dead heart. And that's an amazing thing. When God implants life, he does it through the implanted word. We saw that in James, right? So here's the idea. The word creates faith in our unbelieving hearts. The word creates life in our dead hearts. The word gives power to our weak hearts. And the word gives wisdom 
to our foolish hearts. It gives us God's perspective to where we see, wow, I didn't think I was such a bad sinner. Now I see I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Wow, I didn't think Jesus was such a great Savior, but now I see that He is a great Savior and I need to be saved by Him. So notice, the Bible is powerful for regeneration, so approach it with the expectation that you will be saved. I love this quote by Martin Luther. I mean, here's Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic monk who was enslaved to his own lustful heart, his own sinful heart, and had been taught by the Roman Catholic Church that he needed to work his way to salvation by doing the works, the rituals, and the requirements of the Roman Catholic Church. And so he worked, and he tried, and he did everything. Well, maybe I need to become a monk. Maybe I need to go to Rome and visit the Pope. And maybe I need, you know, and he, he did everything that in the 1500s, the Roman Catholic required then, and they still require today. And none of it worked. Until one day, in the Word of God, he was wrestling with God in the book of Romans, And he saw that phrase, the righteousness of God, and he hated that because he knew he wasn't righteous. And he was just struggling with that, and he was wrestling with that. And then the power of God's word just gave life to his dead, hard heart. And suddenly he just knew, oh, that's his righteousness that he gives to me by faith. And he was born again. And then the Reformation took off. So years later, they asked him, Luther, how did this happen? And there's this famous quote where he says this, I opposed indulgences and all papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with Philip Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or an emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. I did nothing. The word did it all. And, and, And here's how it started. The word did it in his heart. And then it transformed me, and he wanted everybody to hear the good news. And I know I've told this story so many times, but it was such a great picture. We were teaching, when our class was shaped that way, and and we just uh, had a few people there, and Carmen was there, and I was teaching on Romans, and she came up afterwards, and she says, now what does this mean? I believe it's Romans 3. We're in Romans 3. And she goes, does this mean this is a, basically, I'm paraphrasing, this is a free gift? And I said, yeah, that's what that means. And you were born again that day. I mean, it was just crazy. And, and her life, I mean, it was just the same way. And it's like, well, I'm just teaching. I didn't even know what's going on. I, I, I can't get into your heart, but God can. Isn't that beautiful? We could just go on and on. All of us have that story. I remember after growing up for uh, 17 years in a, a religious church that had homilies and devotionals and sermonettes and uh, spiritual talks, 
that did nothing for me. And the first time I came to what was then Glenwood, now LifeBridge, and I heard the preaching of God's Word, not as the Word of men, but as what it is, the Word of God, I went to school back that next day and the rest of that week in the Word of God. I feel like the guys on the Emmaus Road, the Word of God burned in my heart because I was actually hearing God's Word preached as what it is. Which, listen, we can take that for granted at our church. And we should never do that because the Word is powerful, powerful. So come with the expectation to be regenerated. Also, approach your Bible with the expectation of sanctification. Sanctification. Why? Because the Bible doesn't just change you once in the past, but it changes, it keeps on changing you. That's why the Ruckles are going to keep on reading Genesis. Yeah, you read it last year. You're going to read it again. You keep reading it. Because it's for sanctification. Listen to Jesus himself. Listen to what he said. Sanctify them in truth. He's praying to the Father. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The way God wants to wash you clean is by washing you with the water of God's word. But let's go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. So in verse 15 we see, that the scriptures were able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation. That's regeneration. But look at the sanctification expectation in verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. For what? Here's the four things you should expect God's word to do in your heart. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so look in your notes. I have this great diagram. I love this diagram. This diagram is always in my mind when I read this passage, and it really ought to always be in our minds when we approach Scripture, because these are the four things. And these aren't four isolated things. They relate together. So notice in your notes what it says. It's profitable for teaching, or some of your Bibles will say doctrine. And basically it's saying this, here's the right path, here's the truth, okay, here's the right thing. But we all get off the path, don't we? So the Word of God also says, hey, here's where you've gone wrong. Here's the sin in your life. You're on the, and, and notice, it's the broad way. Okay, that path is, it's so easy to get off. And so we come to the word of God. And yes, rebuke is a powerful word. But the Greek word there is powerful. It means to confront, to challenge, to rebuke, to reprove, to say, stop, you're going the wrong way. And then correcting, how to repent and get back on the narrow way and on the right path. And then the fourth training in righteousness how to stay on the right path. And that word for training is the word for discipleship. It's the word for parenting. And so I like that. So here's the path. Whoa, wait a minute. You're on the wrong path. Okay, here's how to get back on the right path. But as you're on that, the word of God will parent you, loving you, encouraging you to stay on that right path. I really like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage of Scripture. Notice what it says in your notes. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another 
showing us the truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped for the task that God has for us. Listen, expect sanctification. And it can be a painful process, okay? And what's amazing about the Word of God, you can be reading along going, man, this is so good. I know so many people that need this. And then all of a sudden, boom, the Word of God just slaps you silly and says, no, you are the man or you are the woman. And you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting this today. And God is loving you. He's parenting you through that. Third thing to expect is qualification, okay? Qualification. Because why, why does God want to save us in order to sanctify us? And why does he want to sanctify us is to qualify us to serve him and to serve others. Look at verse 17. So 15, you got regeneration. Verse 16, you got sanctification. And verse 17, you've got qualification so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, For every good work. Listen, the Bible is purposeful. It is for helping you serve Him and serve others. So approach it that it will qualify you. And you know the beauty of how it does that? This verse, this passage, is probably the most important passage on the Bible in the Bible. Okay, the most important passage on the Bible in the Bible. And we did a whole series, remember, on the five solas of the Reformation. Well, this passage just bleeds with sola scriptura. It tells us that scripture alone has this power for regeneration. Scripture alone has this power. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. And the scripture alone is what's going to qualify you and equip you to serve him. And uh, basically, there's, it, 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 this passage is basically telling this us this. God's word is without error. God's word is enough. God's word is clear. A grandma and a mom can teach it to a little kid. God's word is final. It's sufficient. And God's word is necessary. Listen, come to the Bible expectantly. Amen? Expectantly. And I, I, I think that's a given, but I don't think we always do that. I don't always do that. But here's what I'm always thinking, at a minimum. It's going to teach me what's right. It's going to show me where I'm wrong. It's going to help me to correct that. And it's going to disciple me to become more like Christ. Now, when you do that, That kind of change, this kind of change in you, it brings great joy. And so that's the second approach we want to look at. Approach your Bible joyfully. Because listen, God does not only, does not want to merely change your thinking or change your will and how you live. He wants to change your affections. He wants to change your emotions. And so there's great joy in Uh, coming to the Bible. Now, remember last week, we talked about approaching your Bible obediently. And we talked about the Rhoda response. Rhoda was the doorkeeper. 
And as a doorkeeper, you always had your hand by your ear and you're always listening for that knock on the door. And when you heard it, you were quick to hear it, quick to obey. But God wants you to do that from the heart. And it's a heart of joy. I love the, telling the story of the little kid who uh, uh, was told, he disobeyed, he was told, told to go stand in the corner. And he said, well, I may be standing in the corner, but in my heart, I'm still, <laughs> you know, opposing you. And that's what we do a lot of times. We kind of do God's will, but in our heart, we're not delighting in it. We're not rejoicing in it. And so I want to help you with that. So let me give you three, and, and, and let me, again, last week, approach your Bible studiously. When you do that, you will experience for yourself the joy of discovery. In fact, one of the best little books on how to study the Bible is called The Joy of Discovery. And if you've ever studied the Bible for yourself, like we talked about, if you've ever been a Berean, you know the joy of discovering things for yourself from the Word of God. And then we talked about obeying the Bible obediently, and there's just the joy of obedience. God is pleased. I'm obeying. My spouse may not like it. My co-workers may not be applauding me, but I know that God has a smile on his face as he sees me obeying him. So let me give you three truths, three joy-filled observations. We'll just hit these quickly, and here's what they are. Because you could do a whole study on joy, and here it is. First is, divine joy overflows to all of God's creation. Divine joy overflows to all of God's creation. Turn your Bibles, First Chronicles. 16. So that's in the Old Testament, in the latter part of the Old Testament. 1 Chronicles 16. I just want to show you a couple verses here that just talk about the joy of creation. And, and I hope that once you see these verses, you'll start seeing them all over the Bible. Are you with me? I remember, uh, I really... Uh, a tribute to re reading some books by John Piper, who opened up my eyes to seeing joy in the scriptures. And once I started looking for it, and once I started thinking about it, joy is all over the Bible. And so take a look at these verses. First Chronicles 16, verse 26. For all of the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Now notice, strength and joy are in his place. When you're in God's presence, there's joy there. And it doesn't come from you. You don't have to manufacture it. God releases it. God exudes it. He's a joy. We serve a happy God. Isn't that cool? You don't hear, we don't think about that enough. We serve a happy God. Who created a happy creation. Drop down to verse 31. Drop down to verse 31. 1 Chronicles 16. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And you say, well, yeah, he, heavens means angels. Earth means humans. That's what he means. No, look at verse 32. He means that. But let the sea roar 
and all it contains it. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. There is joy in God's creation. I don't understand that. I don't know what that means, but I believe it. That the ocean rejoices. And everything in the ocean is made to design him. Now, of course, we messed that all up, but that's the idea. Creation was created for joy by a joyful God. God was joyful within himself, within the Trinity. And then within that Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, the joy they had, they overflowed and filled creation with it. That's cool. They didn't create creation so they could be more joyful they created creation so that creation could experience their joy and god created the world as an overflow of his joy and god created people to share that joy and show that joy and to shout that joy i love this quote from matt's book look knows what it says god is happy happier than the happiest person you've ever known The creation of the world was an explosion of joy. Not a filling up, but a spilling out. Consider that for a moment. Not only the outstanding natural world, but you and I, created by God, are an overflow of His exceeding joy. You were made to be happy in God. And that brings us to the second joy-filled truth. Divine joy completes the joy of His people. God wants to complete your joy by being in His Word. And joy is essential to the life of God's people, especially worship. Okay, think about this. Psalm 1611. Listen to Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Listen, you'll never have fullness of joy until you come to God through His Word, and in prayer. So, is your joy tank half full? Is your joy tank empty? There's fullness of joy in His presence. Psalm 43, 4, listen to this. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Okay, now, I'm I'm pumped. I'm excited about tonight. I'll be even more excited if we win. I'll be super excited on Wednesday when we have that parade. But there is a joy that doesn't depend on Mahomes not getting hurt. There's a joy that doesn't depend on what my team does. Listen, I, I, I used to preach on Sunday nights in the 90s after Chief games. Let me tell you, not only did I struggle with that, our people struggled with that. But I always was reminded, you know what? I get to preach the Word of God. I, God is my, He is my sustainer, okay? And that, you know, that's the idea. God, you are my exceeding joy. Psalm 87, 7 says this, Then those who sing as well as those who play the flutes shall say, All my springs of joy are in you. Now think about that. Where's my source of joy? Where's my spring? Where does joy bubble up in your life? Family's important. Children are important. But you know what? Not everybody has children. And not every child is going to bring joy to your heart. And not every family is a joy-filled situation. God 
Let God be the spring of your joy. Now, how important is joy? We could keep going. The gospel is good news of great what? Joy, right? The fruit of the, what's the second fruit of the Spirit? We know love. Love, joy is the second fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we could go on. You know what God's going to say to us in the second coming as he ushers in his kingdom here on our earth? He's going to turn to us and say, enter into my joy. See, joy, it's just, it's, it's all over there. But listen, engaging Scripture is where there is joy. Look, so many times when Jesus spoke, here's what he said. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full or complete. He said it again in John 17. He prayed it to the Father. Now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that my joy may be complete or made full. Listen, God spoke, Jesus spoke through this book so that his joy would be in you and your joy would be full and complete. That's just amazing. And here's the third thing about that. Because here's the reality. Are we always joyful? No. And is reading scripture always a happy time? No. We heard from, uh, uh, from you know, Audra said, when I'm cranky and don't want to read, right? She didn't say when I'm happy. She said when I'm cranky and I don't want to read. But here's the thing. Divine joy never disappoints in the end. It never disappoints in the end. Again, let me quote Matt from his book. It is the very nature of discipline to give way to delight. Not every time and not all at once, but steadily and increasingly until the day we see our king face to face and behold him in his beauty with joy that never ends. Now, we said, so here, let me, let me bring this to the practical level of it. There's three ways to approach the Bible, and none of them are necessarily wrong. Duty... Delight and desperation. But what I want you to see and what he's trying to say in that quote is when you read out of duty and you keep reading out of duty in time, it will bring you to delight. Are you with me? And when you come to the Bible out of desperation and God comes through, that will lead you to delight. So I don't know how to give you that anymore, except that over time, delight grows. And here's the sad thing. We all want to delight in the Bible, and we love it when people say, you know what, I've read through the Bible a hundred times in my life, and, 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 and I keep reading the Bible, and, and, you know, and they've followed the Lord for 50 years, and, they said, and there's a joy in them, and there's a joy in the Word, and you say, I want that. But you know how you get that? Sometimes you read out of duty. Sometimes you read out of desperation, and you keep reading. And when you fail, you don't give up. You don't quit. You keep reading. And when you don't do it perfectly, you don't stop. You keep reading, and there will be delight. So, what's the key to this? Third, exp third way to approach. Approach your Bible mutually. Approach your Bible mutually do it with other people and uh, and i can't say this to you enough listen 
when I memorize scripture, I don't do memorize all the time. I'm not on a habitual memorization. I wish I was. I'm not. But when I do it, I do it mutually. I do it with someone. And I've already told you, when I'm reading scripture, it helps. And that's why I wanted the Ruckles to do their interview is because there's something about reading the Bible together. That's why we have our grow groups. If you want to approach your Bible mutually, it's good to be in Discovery Hour. That's an added opportunity to do it together, but also our grow groups. But notice what's happening in our culture. Increasingly, as people fall away from the faith, here's what you hear people saying. They're writing books about it. I love Jesus, but not the church. And I imagine since you're here, you're not going to say that. But many churchgoers, maybe even here in our class, are thinking, I love Jesus, but I don't really need the church. But here's what we need to say. And I read this recently, and I don't even remember where, who I read it from, but I didn't forget what he said. I need to love the church like Jesus loves the church. Do you see the difference? You know, so it's not, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, or I don't think I need the church. Listen, Jesus loves the church. So if you love Jesus, you're going to love his church. And he knows exactly how messed up we are. He knows exactly how messed up our church churches are, our church. And he loves us. And we ought to love the church in that way. So here, let me give you a couple principles. The first is, approach your Bible with other believer priests. Okay? Approach your Bible with other believer priests. And why do I use that language? Because you don't have to be a pastor to teach the Bible to one another. Amen? You, don't have, you can know the Bible and you can read the Bible. You don't have to be at church. You don't have to have a Bible degree. Congregationally, we should gather, but also informally. I like Romans 15, 14. It says this. Paul says to the Romans, You're filled with all knowledge, able also to instruct one another. That's the reason why Chris and Audra can instruct one another throughout the day. They don't have to run it by one of our pastors. They can do that. You can do it congregationally. We teach one another the Word of God through hymns, songs, and spiritual songs. But if you're not singing, you ain't instructing. And if you're not singing loud enough for everybody to hear, you're not helping. Okay? Sing, instruct. These are ways to do it. And then approach your Bible with your pastor teachers. There is a role to be taught by those who have been set apart by the Holy Spirit, set apart by the church, to teach you the Bible. Since you're here, I don't have to belabor that. But let me encourage you to do that habitually. Be consistent. Be consistent. Develop consistency. And then approach your Bible with lost friends. Now, why do I say that? Well, we go back to the beginning of this lesson. The, the Word of God is the ultimate change agent. So again, you know, some, we, I think in the past, you know, Bible study, that's for Christians. And then an evangelistic, you know, appeal is for lost people. When in fact, if we would study the Bible with lost people, the Bible itself would change. Now, I guess it's in Matt's book that he uses an illustration when he was in college. And I'll close with this. He's in college, 
Uh, actually, he was at a university in another country. And so there was a, a, another student that he was trying to witness to. And he was from another religion. He didn't mention what. I imagine Muslim. And so he got a copy of the, of the, uh, uh, the Jesus film, okay, which is the, the Gospel of Luke word for word put to acting, right? And so this, Matt's all excited about this. So he gets the guy, they're, they're sitting together, they're about ready to, you know, they're going to watch this, and they start watching this, and all of a sudden Matt gets embarrassed. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is the worst acting. Is Jesus levitating? What? Oh my gosh, this is just, you know, this, you know, and he's like, why did I ever do this? I should never have done it. They watch all two hours of it. They turn it off. And his friend turns to him and says, that was the greatest movie I have ever seen. And he got saved. Because because the Word of God is able to do... Listen, sometimes I think we just outthink and out... We make decisions for lost people. You're not going to like this. You You know, our church isn't hip enough. Uh, this 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 thing that I want to invite you to isn't cool enough. Listen, if the word of God is there, lives can be changed. Amen. And I'll never forget Rick and uh, Diana coming to the Passion. We showed the movie The Passion, and you could think you know people thought all sorts of crazy things about the Passion. That got them into our grow group, and they both got saved. And then Diana died of cancer, and she's in heaven. Listen. The Word of God can do that, but you've got to come to it. Approach it expectantly. Approach it joyfully. And approach it mutually. All right? Amen? Is that just good stuff? I hope that's your heart posture. Because this Word is a glorious, glorious gift. Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank You that Your Word is sharp and powerful. It's living. It's alive. It changed my heart, my life. It's changed the whole trajectory of my life and my eternity. It's changed my wife's life. It's changed my daughter's life. It's changed the lives of people in this room. And yet we need to be changed more. God, help us to be in it with expectant, joyful hearts. And let us do it together. Let's do it mutually for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Enjoy your Mahomes cupcake. Thank Edie Carey. And uh, let's go worship the King of Kings.